I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's broadcast, we begin with a breakdown of the conclusion, the thrilling conclusion of the race for the Speaker of the House, which is finally over, and what was accomplished with all of the infighting, etc. Not too much, but a couple of big things, namely commitments to more investigations, more conservatives and key committees, and a commitment to have spending bills be single issue, which could be really terrific if that comes to fruition. These are not bad results, but were they worth the semi-humiliating food fight? Only time will tell. I'm uh, naturally pretty skeptical of it all, but we try to break it all down for you on the broadcast. And then we hit a few other topics before we have two terrific guests, A-plus guests today, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, and then Christian conservative filmmaker and now author Kirk Cameron. Kirk's children's book was canceled by a public library or two, and he's not backing down, trying to get the word out about God and country for the youngsters. And he really does seem like a guy who's well worth your support. So uh, you'll hear from both of those gentlemen. Let's get into it. Speaker of the House race got resolved, and it was just very odd, in my opinion. It was one of the more odd news cycles, and the fact that this evoked uh, so much passion, people just losing control, grown men just having emotional fits, um, I think it was pretty uh, well-documented. How on the pro-McCarthy side, it seemed like Dan Crenshaw, who's you know, been in the show a number of times, um, and I uh, generally appreciate it when he shows up, um, seemed to you know lose it on national TV and get very emotional about it. And a lot of the anti-McCarthy people just seemed just grown men, uh, people who play alpha males on Twitter, just uh, completely beside themselves that um, the not everyone would support the 20 people who stood against McCarthy. That number kept dwindling down. And I was watching from the sidelines going, I don't think I get all this completely. Um, I will say I do appreciate uh, Brett Winterbull and Mike Slater who filled in. They did a really good job, I think, managing your guys' energy. And I know that most of you appears, based on the call volume um, from the shows I've been listening to, uh, seem to be, you know, for the people who were standing against McCarthy. It's all, all, all fine. It's totally understandable. Um, I, I just am not sure what we got out of this relative to the fact that we sent a pretty clear signal to Washington that the Republicans are deeply divided uh, and that they are uh, coming into the uh, coming into Washington with uh, focusing on the fact on where we differ relative to the Democrats who 100 percent threw their support behind Hakeem Jeffries, who is not a super impressive guy, in my opinion. He's someone who's an election denier, who's someone who really dined out on acting like 2016 was a hoax. And when we heard nonstop, the worst thing in the world you could be is an election denier. And then the Democrats put a guy up like that and were making them seem like they've got their act together in a major way and were a mess on the right. So, and what are we a mess over? I, I, I want to go through some of the concessions that were made. And so you guys can help me understand what this was all about. So I want to go through some of them. I've been trying to wrap my mind around it. Okay, so there's going to be, so uh, Andrew Clyde proposed uh, a plan to restore public access to the Capitol. Great idea. Uh, absolutely. There was all these provisions in place from January the 6th, and that was not there, and now it's there. That's really great. 
Uh, Lauren Boebert had a proposal to reduce the linkage between the National Republican Congressional Committee and the steering committee process. Now, the steering committee is the standing committee, I believe, that uh, moves the priorities around and organizes the business and manages the general course of operations in the House. Uh, I have no doubt that that's a positive thing. Okay, Uh, no doubt that's positive. I don't know how positive it is. I don't know the mechanics of the House that well, Um, but I imagine that's a good thing. Sure. Uh, Gary Palmer proposed a cap on spending on suspension bills. Now, suspension bills, I guess, are uh, uh, the are um, votes where the rules have already been suspended and there's which means that I they're moving it towards a final vote. I again, it's hard you have to have a real deep knowledge of your um, uh, schoolhouse rock to know exactly what's going on with some of this some of these uh, the changes to the way the Congress operates. Ralph Norman proposed uh, limiting leadership reports to make the conference more about engaging all members. Fine. Sounds good, too. Chip Roy proposed a five-day notice for suspension votes. Okay, that sounds good. Fine. Uh, Dan Bishop proposed, um, uh, had a proposal in privilege resolutions. I could not wrap my mind around that, so it's my only note on that. Scott Perry proposed for additional conference meetings ahead of key votes. Okay, sounds great. So ahead of key votes. Uh, you get more chance for people to uh, weigh in on things. Uh, Bob Good proposed on standalone appropriations bills. I like that. So that's the best one. So that means you're kind of not having uh, too many issues um, when you're spending money. When you're spending money, then you're isolating the topic that you're spending money on. That's awesome. I love that one. Andy Biggs proposal limit suspension waivers for committees uh, from committees. Uh, I don't, again, that's my schoolhouse rock stuff. I I guess did not internalize that enough in elementary school. Chip Rory's proposal to make co-sponsored amendments in order. Again, these are very obscure things in how the House rules work. And I have no doubt that these are improvements, maybe significant improvements. But aside from isolating what we're spending money on, I'm not seeing what the big deal is thus far. But these are all concessions that were, offered uh, asked for and they were all given um there's going to be more conservatives freedom caucus members on some key committees that seems like a positive thing that was accomplished by the 20 or so people who were objecting to kevin mccarthy's speaker uh, and uh, that i guess is for my purposes and for this audience's purposes are probably a good thing but uh, again all of these seem to be marginal things relative to the message that was sent in my view. So I know some of you disagree, but I would love to hear from some of you out there and explain to me what was accomplished. Are you satisfied with the results at 866-95-PATRIOT? I'll run through the headlines and I'm going to speak to as many of you as we can. Those of you who understand what's going on and feel like some major accomplishments were achieved. But it does sound like the 20 or so objectors made some ground uh, in places like uh, how the floor operates who's going to be on some key committees and especially steering and appropriations and commitments on fiscal policy, in particular, this uh, notion that you can't just spend money on a billion different topics when a bill has a certain name on it, which is something I've called for specifically, um, where I said, I can't believe we have something called the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. And we have the National Defense Authorization Act, which includes all sorts of stuff that has zero to do with defense. So including they tried to put the JCPA, which is a handout for the uh, media business, 
in the National Defense Authorization Act. That should be illegal. And everyone who does that should uh, be impeached and removed from office. And yet that's what attempt that's what is attempted by much of Washington. So some progress made. Um, I just don't know if, if that was what everyone wanted because it just seems like that was why we did this thing that we hadn't done in 100 years, which is not agree on a speaker. Um, no one ever stepped forward and said, I'm the guy who's running against McCarthy. Uh, it is an, uh, amazing, absolutely amazing that we were supposed to not support McCarthy when no one else stepped up and gave us someone to support. Uh, the, the clearest example being Jim Jordan, who everyone likes, who didn't want the job. Uh, is he who probably could have united everyone? Uh, Byron Donalds, everyone likes, uh, didn't ever put his his name forward and said, "I'll do it. I'm the guy. I want to do it." No one ever did it. So I I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, and I've been trying to get it. And the more I read about it, the more I do think that there's it, it was mostly a big uh, grandstand. And not that it was totally unproductive and not that there aren't some people who really felt strongly about some of these things and for good reason, it's true that there's, there's, there were some things that were accomplished. And um, uh, the, in particular, the fact that we are going to limit uh, the, what is on appropriation bills, which is Bob Good's idea, just seems like... Um, uh, was that Bob Good's idea or was that, or was that Ralph Norman's idea? I I'm, I'm confusing myself with this stuff. So it, it just it's all very minor stuff that seems fine. But the signal that was sent, Republicans divided, Democrats unified. And I want to know if all of you are really happy about it. Now, everyone's really excited that the first move is going to be to try to cut funding to these IRS agents. Yeah, but that was always the plan. That's not new. So 866-95-PATRIOT, I want to know how people feel the few days after if you had a chance to reflect on it. In particular, the fact that no one ever stood up from the anti-McCarthy side and said, I'll do it. I'll be the person who's going to lead. I'll be the one who will take the slings and arrows. I will put my name in the, put my uh, hat in the ring, as the expression goes. Um, Dan Crenshaw did apologize for calling GOP colleagues terrorists, uh, which Derek Van Orden brought up on Friday's broadcast, I know. And Van Orden said Crenshaw was going to apologize, and he was right about that, which is interesting. So I was not anticipating that. So he shouldn't have called them terrorists. That was not, that did not uh, age very well, age very badly, and right away. Oh, here's the other big one. The one-member motion threshold needed to force a vote to oust the speaker, the uh, motion to vacate the chair. This was the one where people who were part of the uh, staff for some of the 20 objectors to um, McCarthy were working me behind the scenes and telling me this one's really important. We got to have one person who can just declare we don't like the speaker, so then we're going to have a vote on, on a new speaker. The motion to vacate the chair, we're going to empty out the speaker's chair. And the threshold used to be five, and now it's one. I, I just don't, it seemed like one of the people like a lot. Like, I, I, do you guys care that much? If you can't get five people to say we're going to remove the speaker, instead just one person can say it, and then um, we'll start the process from there. Is that really important to all of you? So uh, it's just, you know, it feels like one of these things that played out very theatrically without all that. I think the stakes were a lot lower to me 
than the way it was playing out, those of you who follow the stuff moment to moment. A lot of people I really like online who are just one way or the other, just completely beside themselves. The people who are beside themselves that people wanted to not coronate McCarthy and people who are beside themselves that um, there were people who were saying, let's, let's just move on. We should move on, get started, get the investigations going. Now, people who want to coordinate McCarthy, I, I get I, I get why you'd be irritated as I was that no one else was stepping forward and saying, I'll take the job or I want the job. Um, but those of you who didn't, then, you know, my thought is um, the, the, no one ever gave us the path to where the house goes without McCarthy. And I just wanted that. But that said, it's not like the Republicans have this great track record of really efficient investigations that we're all just dying to get the Republican results from whatever investigations they have. So uh, that to me is something I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful that whatever investigations are going to be initiated are going to be really productive, really terrific and get a lot done. But I am, am not going to act like I'm holding my breath that they're going to yield some amazing stuff that we're finally going to uh, we're finally going to get some accountability for Hunter Biden after all these years. Now, I hope that's going to happen and we're in a better position now. But am I acting like losing three days of that is the end of the world? No, I'm not. That's why I didn't quite get the meltdowns on both sides. The stakes felt relatively low. So but I was pretty weirded out that we went through this big dramatic thing and there were there was horse trading that was done and no one ever stepped up and said hey I want the job I, I, I will take the place of this guy who shouldn't be getting the job six Republicans ended up voting present so they didn't even end up voting for McCarthy or anyone else Andy Biggs Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert Bob Good Matt Rosendale and Eli Crane in the 15th round, voted present. So they didn't even vote for anyone. So they, they stood aside and let McCarthy in, but they didn't vote for anyone else. And that was the deal that was cut. So that's quite, quite a statement that that makes. Okay. Um... Then you read headlines like Vladimir Zelensky told McCarthy that Ukraine is counting on your continued support and further U.S. assistance. No kidding. And McCarthy was walking around with his Ukraine flag in his pocket. I hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. And I hate that McCarthy did that. And he's going to be need to be held accountable. Um, and my hopes for him are not, I'm, I'm not overly excited. Trust me. Trust me. And I'm anticipating disappointment. But then when, then when disappointment comes, hey, we got our a one vote to vacate the chair. Let's do it. Let's use it. So um, we, the, it's, the spending stuff is going to be crucial where things are spent. We're going to have to look at the border right away. That does seem to be the plan. But again, how much power is actually going to be flexed with Biden in the White House and with, Dem, with a Democrat Senate? I don't know. We're going to see. 
So um, he, McCarthy thanked Trump for his support. A lot of people were telling me that Trump was kind of called off the uh, handful of holdouts and say it's time to move on. Um, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. It took a while for him to get involved, but uh, everyone's telling me behind the scenes Trump played a role. Uh, I, I do not, not I do not have enough information to refute that point. But I do, I do want to give Trump some credit when he deserves it. It was not uh, overly apparent to me that was happening, but people behind the scenes were telling me that was happening and that it was effective. So we'll note that. Uh, in the meantime, Joe Biden was down in, at the border, finally went, picked a good time because the world was focused on other stuff. He's finally down there. And other than the Afghanistan debacle, which I was just revisiting, um, doing some of... Um, some some work on some other projects I'm working on, which is part of what's taking me away from broadcasting five days a week lately. And uh, the Afghanistan debacle has got to be the worst thing Biden's done as president. But what's going on at the border has got to be a, a close second because downstream effects are terrible. Fentanyl. Uh, the only reason why that's not number one is because he inherited a huge problem from Donald Trump because the border was not secured under President Trump. Trump, of course, inherited a huge problem from Barack Obama, who inherited a huge problem from George Bush, et cetera, et cetera, going back to Reagan, at least. So this has been the Achilles heel of American presidents. No one's done a good job um, at our border. Um, So Biden basically continues the tradition of being really terrible on the border. Uh, Trump was merely not great as opposed to really terrible, like every other president. So, and uh, Trump would get higher marks than that, aside from he literally campaigned on, we're going to build a wall, make Mexico pay for it. And the border remained um, mostly open. So anyway, so uh, the officials cleared homeless migrants from, El, from the El Paso streets ahead of Biden's village. It's literally like a Potemkin village that was set up for him to go down there. And I have no idea what was accomplished other than the fact that he literally just, he just went. So in the meantime, we're seeing the border disaster that's down there just um, uh, continue to get worse. Massive number of migrants crossing into El Paso, which is completely open at this point. Overcrowding border patrol processing centers and shelters. Thousands upon thousands of people down there. We're just looking at El Paso alone, which Biden didn't even go to these places. Migrants sleeping on the streets in freezing conditions. Doesn't matter. Those were, they were cleared out. Venezuelan migrants have been sleeping outside churches, shelters, and bus stops. And they've been getting rounded up, taken places. So, um, Biden was here for a day yesterday. They didn't disclose. The White House did in advance who he was going to meet with, really what he was going to do. And the world was sort of distracted. I think a lot of people burned out from a long week in Washington covering the speaker race, which again amounted to what? A couple of okay things. So, but nothing groundbreaking. And the Biden border trip comes and goes when we're all going to move on. So I'm not saying there's much we can do other than move on because what are we supposed to do? He's in charge. He wants to leave the border open. Elections have consequences. And that goes for you guys too. It goes for us. It goes for us. So, um, anyway, it's a still a depressing scene down there. And our coverage of Breitbart is always top notch. So I recommend everyone go over to our Cartel Chronicles. Go to Breitbart.com slash border. And then you can check everything else out that we've 
posted. But th there's a lot of posing for photos down there and a lot of not securing the border. So um, he's nearing his 2024 campaign announcement as far as we can tell. So I, I don't know why Biden would run. I mean, he's so heavily favored to win regardless of who's uh, runs who runs against him. And he's probably going to get to run against Trump again, who he beat last time. And Trump's brand is not as strong as it was. And Biden's brand is somehow improved, which is remarkable because Biden has so few victories. But um, the, 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 he's been able to, I think, maintain all of the mechanisms that Democrats use to win. In, in, uh, those key ones are mastery of mail-in voting and tech censorship which I guess improved a little bit on Twitter, but no, none of the other platforms. So, and this is also noteworthy that the Democrats won the midterms despite inflation because we're probably heading into a recession this year. And um, the we were reporting in Breitbart over the weekend how uh, the Bank of America cheap economists anticipates can be two or three years of additional inflation. We saw from the jobs data on Friday, which was way too hot, and you can catch the end of Friday's broadcast on the SXM app if you want John Carney's take on it, is that the jobs data was really great, but great is not great because the unemployment rate is so low and it's a huge mystery how it remains so low because the Fed is doing everything they can to try to raise unemployment rate, try to slow down inflation, but uh, they can't do it. They've proven that they can't do it thus far. They have not made the necessary moves to do that, which means we're going to continue to see interest rates rise, probably. Um, and, or maybe the Fed will get cold feet and slow down, and then we could really have a stagflationary period where inflation does continue and the economy stagnates. So they're trying to slow down the job so that they can slow down the inflation. That's the goal, and they're failing at that. Unemployment rate actually uh, went, went down plunging 3.5%, the exact opposite of what the Fed's been trying to do for months, last 12 months at least. All right. Um, 866-95-PATRIOT. A few other stories I want to bring to your attention, then, we'll, then we will talk to some of you who are queuing up, which I appreciate. Uh, California's reparation tax force, Matt. So they're going to determine how much blacks are owed in the free state of California, where which did not have slaves. And it starts with uh, $1 million a piece. Can you imagine that after all this time? So when was the Emancipation Proclamation? Emancipation Proclamation. I'm looking at my favorite non-Google search engine because I, I, I should know this off the top of my head. Um, I was going to say, all right, so 1862. I would have been off by a couple of years. So 1862, and California has been a free state, and they're going to have reparations. And after all this time, you know what they've determined is the dollar figure that is owed to black Americans in their free state? Are you sitting down? It's $1 million. Right on the nose. The exact perfect number, $1 million. Can you picture that? How cool is that? I mean, the chances of that are unbelievable. If you really calibrated with some real top-level economists, how much are owed, and you got exactly a million dollars. Because that's so convenient that that's the right number. You'd almost think that it was merely a political stunt and not something that was actually economically accurate for what is owed for the legacy of slavery. And a homeless will be first in line. If you can't tell, I'm uh, being sarcastic, obviously. It proves that it's a stunt. 
they should come up with a really obscure number, like $784,321. They determined that's it. That's what's out. And we did it, and they should come up with some sort of equation that got them that number. And said they're like, let's give them a million. I was just trying to buy more votes. It's what the left always does, and they do it so well. Um, Gavin Newsom is going to give his state of the state speech coming up. And the plan is to, or maybe he's already, maybe this is come and gone. Um, but the plan is to talk, uh, the, forgive me for not being, uh, paying too close attention to Newsom's state capital address. Um, but it is, uh, the plan is to talk mostly about the January the 6th insurrection. How cool is that? How cool is that state of the state? And we're going to hear about January the 6th, the attack on the Capitol in Washington, D.C., where one Trump supporter died, the worst attack in America's history. It's amazing how the left just never misses an opportunity to keep grinding down people on their issues. They can really beat a dead horse. Um, Speaking of insurrections, the biggest story in the world right now is what's going on in Brazil, which is protesters storming the Capitol destroying the Supreme Court, which was very anti-Bolsonaro and their Congress. Really uh, interesting because this is the first legacy of January the 6th that we've seen worldwide, I think. So clearly a lot of people who were storming Capitol were inspired by January the 6th. There's no doubt about it. Breaching the presidential palace, thousands rampaging. Um, A journalist down there sent me footage of a mounted police officer getting you know beaten. But overall, I'm guessing the media is going to use this to attack Trump and overdo it as always attack the January the sixth people in our country. Bolsonaro was in Florida. It's really interesting because someone sent me a video of Bolsonaro walking around a supermarket. And it was I thought, oh that's kind of funny, but it's kind of odd that why is this happening? I mean, how often do you see world leaders uh, just walking around a supermarket like a normal person. And that footage of it comes out and then it gets shared. And then it just, maybe it's a head fake. Maybe it's that he was there because maybe he knew something was up. So he got out of town. Even if he likes what's up. Like, I don't know if he's supportive of this or not. It's too early to tell. Um, I imagine not, but I'll get a better sense of it. Francis Martel this morning when I talked to her, I've not talked to her yet about it because the show's on very early, um, but she's our world editor and I'll, I'll get her take and then we'll we'll talk to her about it. Uh, and I will report back, but uh, watch Breitbart.com throughout the day because we'll be giving you the latest updates on what's going on. But the protests are storming the Capitol, storming, uh, destroying the, the Supreme Court. Uh, and I would just check it out, Breitbart.com because we got a lot of footage. It's interesting and um, it'll be the same deal as January 6th. You can bet that it will be bad and then it will be way overemphasized by the press. That's typically how these things go. And then we will see what happens there. Because remember, Bolsonaro is framed as Trump of the tropics. Okay, uh, 866-95-PATRIOT. A couple other quick ones and then I'll uh, we'll run to the phones uh, Chinese have turned their turned to street crema, cremations as coronavirus deaths mount so huge levels of coronavirus death in China and we're not really told the extent of it because they don't have a free press and they've been hiding it and uh, now they are uh, they cannot uh, cremate people fast enough so they're doing it in the street so is uh, and it's going around the world they're exporting it around the world and that's Luckily, this latest variant doesn't seem like it's as deadly as some prior variants, but it's not good, and it's propping up a lot. 
and we'll see if we're ready for it as a society because it just does feel like we're so divided on this issue among so many others. You're still seeing some people put the mask back on. Um, it was a, a very funny when some, someone sent me a picture uh, during the McCarthy debate that was going on of Ashley Oliver, who's our congressional reporter in the Congress typing away. And she's sitting next to a guy who's got this long hippie hair. He's got to be in the 60s, heavy set. And he's got this mask on that's incredibly elaborate, but it's also so small. It can barely cover his nose and mouth, but you can tell it's really heavy duty. And you could tell that this guy is really was precise when he picked out the super hardcore mask because this guy does not want the vid. He does not want the row. He will avoid it. Um, Elon Musk is in trouble in his Tesla business. They've cut prices in China for the second time in three months due to poor demand. So Tesla's stock, as you guys know, is down 75% or so over the last year and uh, 70%, I want to be fair. And um, it's ticked up a couple of, couple of points this week, but interesting because, again, he's uh, taken on so much. He's got a space company. He's got a company that drills holes in the ground. He runs Twitter, but he's also got some problems because uh, a lot of his user base or client base is in China, and they're not buying his cars as much. A lot of competition is emerging in the United States. Uh, one thing that's positive in the sports world, NFL players taking a knee to pray and not to protest for DeMar Hamlin. A very heartening scenes in the NFL. I don't like to give NFL a lot of good press or any good press. Uh, I'm not folks in the NFL. I don't watch the NFL. I've been on a years-long boycott. But uh, it is noteworthy that when Tim Tebow prayed, we were told that was the worst thing in the world. And now the whole league is kneeling in prayer for DeMar Hamlin and really beautiful displays. And I think a very welcome of, of that return to society in some way. And this is one thing that I always liked about sports relative to, you know, Hollywood where at the Oscars, you'll hear actors and directors, whatever, the first people think is their agent, you know, and in the sports world, when you win the Super Bowl, so often you would hear people say, well, I want to thank God. And that's something that's different and superior in the sports world versus other uh, the elements of pop culture society. Uh, and if that's coming back in a big way, then uh, I, I, that would be very welcome because try as I might, there's a lot of people still watching a lot of sports ball these days on TV. My highest recommendation, limit your sports ball intake and try to spend more time with family, more time exercising, more time doing stuff to enrich yourself. But um, I was looking at the top things that people watched last year and Almost all of it's pro sports. I mean, that's what people like to watch. So if you're going to do it, then uh, it's nice to have at least a little bit of wholesome goodness here where everyone praying for someone who was severely injured and seems to be making a pretty great recovery, which is a miracle. Fan favorite Senator Josh Hawley, who has a lot of clarity on the most important issues of the day. I got a few minutes with him at the recent Turning Point Summit that I attended in Arizona and uh, just a very charismatic guy. A lot of great ideas. Let's hear from him. 
Alex Marlowe here, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News at the Turning Point USA America Fest with Senator Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri. Senator, great to Thank be you. with you today. Thank you. And I want to start with TikTok. Okay. So this is something that I've always thought TikTok is Chinese mind control. Yeah. It seems like the world didn't care about TikTok, and now all yeah. of a sudden, everyone seems to agree with you. This is a major so. problem, and we might need to start dealing with it. What's happening in the Congress? Things are changing. Well, we've got a chance now to ban TikTok on all government devices, all U.S. government devices. And frankly, this is the bare minimum. This should not be controversial. Why does any government employee, federal employee, need to be looking at or making TikTok music videos on their phone or tablet or whatever it is? So we ought to ban them. I think we got the chance to do it. We've got about five more days here, working legislative days before the end of the year. I think we can get this done if the Democrats will come along. So it's passed the Senate. Just needs to pass the House, we'll see. Why specifically do you think this is such a problem with TikTok? Well, here's the problem with TikTok. It's a backdoor for the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, the deal is when you've got TikTok open on your phone or what have you, it is tracking your location, it is tracking your keystrokes, it is into your contact list, it is into your email, it's into your calendar, and nobody would have a way of knowing this. You never know it just from looking at the app, and you can't turn it off. I don't want the Chinese Communist Party having all that data. And under Chinese law, because TikTok's owned by a Chinese company, the Chinese Communist Party has the ability to go scoop up all of that data. We don't want that. It's a privacy risk and, frankly, a national security risk. And they don't even let their own people use TikTok the way we use it. How about that? And this is a major thing that, again, is not discussed because so many people in the establishment, corporations, and media are uh, using TikTok and making money off of TikTok. Yeah. It's a way of suckering them in. Yeah, exactly. And you talk about you know making using TikTok. The Democrat Party has used TikTok big time. And frankly, yes. I think one of the reasons that they've been so reluctant now uh -huh. to do anything on TikTok is they've decided this is great for them politically. They, they decided that they figured out a way to make this really work for their campaigns. But my message is, listen, the American people's privacy and security ought to come first. So let's ban it now on all government devices. And if TikTok won't separate itself from Beijing, we probably ought to ban the whole thing. So one of the things that we've been fighting pretty hard on at Breitbart lately is the JCPA, which is this media cartel right, bill, right. For, which would allow for the media cor corporations to collectively bargain with uh, with big tech. Everyone knows my take on this, yeah. who's watching this. Yeah. Uh, explain to me why you've been opposed to it, why you're such a big deal. I, listen, I'm a pro-antitrust guy. I mean, I believe yes, in competition. And, right. I, and I think that we ought to have free and open, fair competition. I'm not for cartels. What that bill does is it allows the media, some media companies, yes. to create their own little cartel. My view is, listen, you want to take on big tech? That's great. Let's break them up and have real competition. But I'm not for carving out special deals. That's what we did. Well, I say we. That's what Congress did originally with big tech back in the 90s. It was a disaster. Major League Baseball has its own little cartel, right? Look how they're using it to try to pressure states like Georgia to change their voting laws. So no cartels, free competition. That's why I'm opposed to that bill. It's a cartel bill. And it's a big deal because you literally wrote a book on tech tyranny. And now this would easily empower tech from my vantage point because they can actually negotiate with the people who are supposed to be covering them right. and exposing any bad stuff they're doing. Sounds horrible to me, yet even some Republicans support it. Yeah, I, you know, listen, I just think that maybe people don't really understand what this bill would do, but all you need to know is it creates a special exemption for the media, yeah. for some of the media. Again, that's the key thing, not everybody, but for some of the media they get this special carve out where they don't have to comply with the antitrust laws. Yeah. I just think that's the exact wrong thing. Let's break up the big players, let's have free competition, let's allow conservative voices to flourish. So if people in the audience want a window into Washington, yeah. they took this tech bill, this media cartel bill, and they tried to put it in the National Defense Authorization Act. Yeah. And luckily that failed, but now they're trying to place it elsewhere I, this you is such a disgrace that Washington works this way. Is there any way to stop it? Well, yeah. I mean, we can, we can stop the huge budget bill, the huge spending bill, which they're trying to jam it into, and I'm going to vote no on that. 
But this, you're right, because here's the deal. They don't really want to take an up or down vote on this thing on the floor of the Senate or on the floor of the House. They want to sneak it into something else and then say, oh, oops, it, it passed. Yeah. People, ought to, We ought to have an up or down vote on this. I mean, let's debate it on the merits. Let's say, are you for cartels or not? Are you for media cartels or not? I think if we had that debate, this thing wouldn't pass. They know that, though, and that's why they're trying to sneak it in. So we've got to be vigilant. It, it seemed like when the debate started to rage with the JCPA and the NDAA, then not just the JCPA came out, more stuff came out, yeah. more bad stuff. Chuck Schumer marijuana thing came out yes. and the vax mandate for military. It, it, what's the message there that the that the voter base was sending to Washington? Well, I think part of it is is that sunshine's a great disinfectant. When you start to open that thing up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this def this so-called defense bill and it's really all about you know empowering uh, pot companies to like use the federal banking system. What? <laughs> and and it's also really all about by the drafting women. It was going to mandatory right. uh, conscription of women for the draft. That was in there originally. That came out fortunately. It's all about the, the COVID vaccine, imposing that on our military members. So once you started really looking at it, it's like well that stuff can't stand up to public scrutiny. And then they had to take all that junk out of there, which is great. But we need to do the same thing on, on all of these huge big bills that come through Washington. Because what, what they do is they don't ever want to pass, again, standalone legislation where senators have to take a tough vote. They want to roll it all up into one giant package and say, well, you know, you're, you're not really voting on the cartel bill. You're really voting on government spending. No, no, no. you got to make them vote one at a time and put their names to the record. So you put out a report a couple of weeks ago on Biden's Ministry of Misinformation, yes. Disinformation. And this was all really hot flash in the pan news cycle that we were all a part of for a while. It was very hot, and then it faded with this crazy lady, Nina Jankovic, yeah. who was gonna control all information, I guess. Yeah. But what you uncovered is that this is not just one a one-off little department, the Department of Homeland Security. This is a much more widespread institutional plan for the Biden administration. Tell me some of the things you found. Well, hey, listen, we had whistleblowers come to us and give us documents. The only way we'd know about this is if with patriotic whistleblowers in the Department of Homeland Security, they came forward and said, look at this, look what they're actually planning to do. They've got their tentacles into the FBI. They've got their tentacles into the military even. They've got their tentacles, of course, into the CIA yes. and into other government agencies. And they're using those agencies to monitor American citizens, their speech about stuff like COVID, their speech about stuff like Ukraine. What does this have to do with foreign interference into any of our politics? Nothing. It has to do with controlling Americans' viewpoints, controlling our speech. So our, the, their own documents have uncovered this, and they've lied to us about it repeatedly. So what we've got to do now is we've got to get the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayor, because he's got to be fired. He's Absolutely. Got to be impeached. Absolutely. I mean, what he has done is, is dereliction of duty. It is lying to Congress. And frankly, it, it's, a, it's a threat to our Constitution. Well, one of the messages is it, it is more widespread. It's not Very just isolated to this one guy or two people. That's right. Uh, and the institutional nature of it is really what's scary. Yes, it, it is. It's, wi it's very widespread. It's becoming systematized. And what the Biden administration has tried to do is take it out of just one board or one entity and put it all throughout the federal government. So give every agency the federal government practically some incentive to monitor American speech. And they're using social media to do it. And this gets yeah. back to the Twitter angle that we're seeing so much about. We've seen the federal government use Twitter, use Google, use Facebook as a giant censorship machine. We have got to break that big government, big tech nexus. So you were one of 10 Republican senators to oppose Mitch McConnell to lead the Senate. I can't think of anyone that the Breitbart audience likes less in the Republican Party than Mitch McConnell. How does he still maintain that level of support, and do you anticipate any repercussions for you for being outspoken against Oh, him? hey, listen, I, I am, I'm from the state of Missouri. We're pretty independent-minded in Missouri, and my view is you've got to do what is right, and you, you've got to have the courage of your convictions. So I'm happy to go out there and say, I think we need to change the direction of the Senate GOP. I mean, listen, you look at the record of the last just two years in the Senate. What's happened? Caved to Big Pharma on insulin 
cave to Chuck Schumer on gun control, cave to the radical left on the climate agenda. That's the so-called infrastructure bill. That's a terrible record. And then they wonder, why didn't we do better in the midterms? Why? <laughs> Gee, I don't know. We need to change the direction, I'm not afraid to say it. And I don't care what the repercussions are. So, and then what about your colleagues, though, who I think would agree with you off record, but on record still support them? You know, I can't speak for anybody but myself. I just hope that we'll see over time, people will say, listen, we've got to, we've got to do something different. And we've got to give the voters, including independent voters, we've got to give them a reason to believe in yeah. us and to trust us. And we haven't done that in the last couple of years. Last one for today yeah. is the rail strike that's going on. It looks like Biden is taking the anti-rail strike totally. position, which is oh. very odd for a guy who's Amtrak Joe. Supposedly. What is your take on this? And again, there's another one where there's a lot of bipartisan um, support on both sides, it seems like. Yeah, here's the deal, is that today's Democrat Party, Joe Biden, they don't actually like working people. And right. the reason is working people have families. Yeah. You know, these rail workers, yes. they wanted just to be able to support their families. But because the Democrats don't believe in family anymore, their view is, hey, you shut up and go work. In fact, both of you, you know, if you're married, both of you ought to be working. Don't have kids, work, let the government raise your kids if you have any kids. You want sick days off yeah. to, to be with your family? No, 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 no. And this is their position. As conservatives, we ought to say we are pro-work, we are pro-family, we want the working man to be able to spend some time with his family, we want him to have an, an honest day's wage for an honest day's labor. Democrats don't care about that anymore. We are the party of work, we are the party of family, we ought to act. All right, new guest to the show, Kirk Cameron, who many of you know from Growing Pains, which was, of course, a super uh, popular TV show uh, way back when that was on quite a bit in the Marlowe household. And he's been making conservative films, and uh, now he is writing books for a Christian conservative audience with Brave Books, our friends over there who do a great job. And he's going through a light cancellation, which he is, I think, correctly weaponizing to get some more publicity and get some more attention to really good causes, which is uh, most of his causes are very good causes. I think just about all of them. So uh, pretty inspirational stuff. Uh, you'll enjoy getting to know him a little bit and what he's all about. Here's the interview. All right. Kirk Cameron is on the line with me. And you know him as an actor and a director, but he's also now a author as well. He's got a new book, As You Grow, which is from Brave Books, our friends over there. And I think I've had just about all the Brave Books authors on. I really like what they're doing. And it's a picture book for children. And for some reason, this is incredibly controversial. Why? Because our society is going uh, insane to some degree. Kirk, it is great to meet you. I have to tell you uh, that this is shameless, but uh, Growing Pains was on my house constantly growing up. So it's great to talk to you in a different context. Uh, but congrats hey. on the book. It's really terrific, and yeah, go ahead. Hey, good morning, man. Thank you so much. It's great to meet you. Great to be on your program, and uh, man, I'm honored to have been in your living room. As, as yeah, as absolutely. Up. I never saw the show much myself. I was busy working. That's so funny. So I, That's so funny. <laughs> I'm not sure what all the rage is about, but uh, I'm happy to be here on your show. Well, I think the family values is part of it, and that's one thing that's a big thing, and that's why it could be in our living room, and I think that was where there's no objections to it, and now it's just a total, uh, I know you have six kids, I've got three, and it's just a total minefield that you put on the TV, just, you have no clue what's coming on, um, and that's part of why Brave Books is so important, but you put out this book, and uh, tell me about the book, and then tell me about some of the uh, feedback you're getting on it, particularly I want to talk about a particular public library in Indianapolis. So I wrote a book recently called As You Grow, and it's a book about, um, it's for kids, about biblical wisdom and how to grow the fruits of the Spirit 
through the seasons of your life. And that's things like love, kindness, joy, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. You'd think that everybody would, would want their children to learn these things, but I was denied by over 50 woke libraries uh, who didn't want me to host a story hour at their library, even though they have previously hosted drag queen story hours. Right. So it's right. yes to men in lingerie uh, teaching two and five-year-olds, but no to a father of six who just wants to come in and talk to kids about the values that made this the freest, uh, strongest, and most blessed country in the world. It's just amazing. You would think that this was some sort of a joke, but this is exactly what you can expect now. So public libraries are, first of all, demanding you don't show up, and then they try to book you in a super small room, which is another tactic uh, that this is a tried and true leftist tactic. Uh, I went to Berkeley, I think I graduated close to 15 years ago, and, and, and this is what they were doing then, is that when I would book a conservative speaker to come to the campus, they would try to put us in some shoebox room. I mean, they got vast auditoria all across the school, and it doesn't, no, no, they, they would book you in a super small room uh, to make it really uncomfortable. Uh, that, that's their tactic, but you fought through it. So what happened? What did everyone do? Well, first, I, I wrote a letter and published it openly to two of these libraries, one in Indianapolis and one in Scarsdale, New York, saying that uh, I hope it's, this is just a misunderstanding. Here's a free copy of my book. Please keep it. Give it away as a gift. Um, these are values that I think we can all agree are important for our children. And if you continue to discriminate against me while you're saying yes to others uh, and, and, and won't let me read a story, then uh, I'm a prepared to assert my constitutional rights in court. Well, we immediately got a response back. They reversed course and said, here's how you fill out a form and, uh, and come to the library. So we did that. Um, they, we, we had to pay to get a small room on the sixth floor in the back of the building, uh, but we came. And I, my instincts were right. My spidey senses told me that these communities were not embracing the woke ideologies that the libraries are espousing, but uh, they wanted what we had to bring. Love, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, God and country. And when I showed up in Indianapolis, we had the largest crowd, we were told, by the police officers there and other officials at the library in the history of the library's existence. We had over 2,500 people showing up, uh, filling the sixth floor to capacity, and the librarian coming over the intercom system saying, please, um, uh, no more people on the sixth floor. Could some of you leave and go to another floor because we have other activities and we're, we're reaching uh, fire code limits. Uh, meanwhile, there's another thousand people outside this, the library waiting to get in. And, and this is all with an event that the library refused to put on their website calendar. Meanwhile, uh, at the same time, they're promoting things like Play-Doh Playdates uh, earlier in the year, uh, um, drag queen story hour and some of them have um gender name change clinics all sponsored paid for and promoted by the libraries but if you want to read to, a, to some kids about christianity and loving your neighbor it's a hard no did you know going into it that this was probably going to be the reception um because sometimes you know it's it's you know and then you got to fight through it and sometimes it's kind of a clever trick to just to particularly uh, seek out places to kind of prove the hypocrisy that they, because it's entirely predictable this is how they behave. Well, 
I, I don't think that there's anything new under the sun, and you, you've proven that uh, in, in your anecdote about being at Berkeley and how they'll put you in a back room. And we've seen that happen over and over with conservative speakers. And, and uh, you know, just, just liberty-loving Americans, concerned parents and grandparents are waking up realizing that there is, there is a war on children, and we have no time to lose. I think that's, uh, Alex, that's why parents and grandparents are showing up in droves at these book readings is that they understand that no one's going to stop the onslaught uh, to capture the hearts and minds of our children, but us. I love that. I love this quote by, by George Washington. He said, all I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her. And then the Bible says, that when God sends revival, he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the hearts of children back to their fathers. So I believe parents are realizing that the most sacred job in the world and the most powerful force for good belongs, wait for it, to parents. That's why God gives children to moms and dads, not the government. Whoever succeeds in telling children the stories gets to control the future. Dictators know that. Patriots know that. Liberty-loving people understand that. And we can't outsource parenting to public libraries and public schools. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm hitting the road and I'm joining forces with, with um, grandparents, with parents, with patriots, concerned Americans, to prayerfully and purposefully take back the hearts and minds of our children. The republic depends upon it. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I'm bravebooks.us for all the brave books. And uh, Kirk Cameron, again, is my guest. As You Grow is his latest, which is red hot, top 100 on Amazon right now, though you can just get it from bravebooks.us if you want to go get it there. Um, but it's just very cool that there's been this outpouring of support for you. But it is, you're kind of a, a warrior in a way, and you've been doing this for a long time. I was looking back at some of our coverage of some of your faith-based efforts to try to get the word out. Uh, and it, it, we've been covering you doing this stuff for a decade. It's, it's, it's at least that long. Do you feel like you have some sort of level of bravery or is it just that you're a driven person? Uh, what, what makes you compelled to keep trying new media to try to uh, push forward positive values about this country and about your faith? Well, Alex, I wish I could tell you that I've got some uh, master plan that I've been, you know, drafting up in, in, in my in my basement uh, <laughs> with, with geniuses around the world. But really, uh, you know, I've 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 got great parents. I've got uh, a Bible and a newspaper and a little bit of history tells me that if good people don't commit to doing the right thing over the long haul, we lose. History is replete with examples of that. And what we have in America is rare and precious. It's called liberty. It's called freedom. Uh, and, and that's what I want to fight for for my kids. You and I have enjoyed it because we grew up in the 70s and the 80s. And, and, and we're watching those freedoms erode. If we want our kids to have it, if, if, if we don't want to have blood on our hands and be filled with uh, guilty consciences in our sunset years, we've got to do everything we can to... Um, uh, plant the seeds of liberty, of faith and morality, uh, so that our children can have a, a, a bright and hopeful future. That's why I'm doing this. Uh, you've also been a big advocate for homeschooling. And uh, the, tell me why you think this is so important, because I happen to be I happen to agree with you, but uh, my kids aren't of school age yet. So I think maybe you'll be more articulate uh, than I would be. But uh, explain why you think that's the future. 
I'm, I'm sorry, why, why, what is the future? Uh, homeschooling. Oh, homeschooling. Well, um, my, education is everything. Um, when, when you look back at the very beginnings of public school in America, and I did a whole documentary on the homeschool movement, which has doubled, by the way, since the pandemic, when schools shut down and forced children to come home, the, the, the great thing that came out of that was parents understood what their kids were being taught in public schools because all the stuff was online and the kids were doing it in front of them in the living room. And when parents got a front row seat to the, the, the horrific information that their children were being taught to hate God, uh, to disrupt and disintegrate the family and be ashamed of the country that we live in, uh, they said, uh, no, we're not doing this anymore. And they want to know how to homeschool their kids, which ultimately is the way education was done originally in America. Um, it wasn't a government institution that served as an indoctrination camp to teach children Marxist ideas like it is today. Um, public school was, was really more um, a family-driven thing. It was community-based, and the, the, the houses of worship assisted and helped. Um, it, this was a private sector thing, not a government thing, and it worked and flourished best. Children were far more literate. They understood civics. They understood the, the taproot that provided the nourishment to the tree of liberty. All that sweet fruit of religious liberty, economic liberty, political liberty, um, uh, moral flourishing, that kind of thing came because moms and dads were in charge of the hearts and minds of their children, not uh, not, not woke public schools. Now, did they do, do it? Do you feel like Kirk? Not. And when we strayed, we suffered. And that's why parents are rising up. They want to get back to the basics. I feel like this whole woke movement, the whole trans agenda that we're seeing and what happened to you at the, the these libraries that are objecting to you, I really do think it's all about eroding the nuclear family. I, I think that's the end game 100%. is replace the nuclear family with, with government and with these, even beyond government, these international bureaucratic institutions that have you know, no elected people in it. And, and I think that's kind of turning over society to those types of people. I think that, that feels like the goal to me. Oh, absolutely. Read Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Um, go, go, just just <laughs> read these, these manuals on how to overthrow a free constitutional republic like ours. Um, every dictator throughout history has ultimately said some version uh, of what Adolf Hitler said best. If you really want to take over a country, don't worry about the old guys like Kirk and Alex. Don't worry about those people who disagree with your ideologies. Just get a hold of the children. Be the one to tell them the stories and to write their textbooks. In 40 years, the adults will be gone, you'll be dead, and this will be the only community the children have ever known. That's why God says, this, says the, uh, the admonition in the Bible, train up your children in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Every smart-thinking person uh, ultimately realizes that whoever tells the children the stories gets to control the future. That's why the crosshairs in this battle are, are on the hearts and minds of the little ones. And parents are finally waking up and saying, no more. As you grow is the book, bravebooks.us. You can join their book club, and then you can get uh, a deep discount on all the Brave books, and uh, we love them here at Breitbart. Uh, Kirk, I got a minute left. Uh, it's the wh where do you take the where do you take the book from here? Do you the roadshow, more events, more locations? 
Yeah, we're, we're going wherever the, the people are, are pleading for us to come. And so we're going to Los Angeles this next weekend. We're heading off to San Francisco. We'd like to go to Portland and, or, uh, Portland and Seattle, Denver, Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, New York. Um, we want to go where people are saying, uh, we need this. Uh, we're being silenced and bullied. And we, we, we want the, the liberty-producing principles you're talking about and resources to teach them to our children. Wonderful stuff. Well, uh, your inspiration, and uh, we're happy to support any way we can at Breitbart. So keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. God bless you. I'm American made. All right, thanks so much to Zach Jones, our producer, and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics, and all of you who stick with me on the broadcast. Can't thank you enough. Tell 10,000 friends and family members about Breitbart News and all the various ways to consume our content. Uh, it's all good. Go to brightboard.com, get in the app, all that. Very helpful, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.